This is the Masters of Cinema cast. My name is Joachim. And my name is Tom. And today we will be discussing Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Silence de la Mer. But first, before we do that, uh, I thought we could talk about just um, our announcement shows for the releases and why we haven't been doing those for a bit. Uh, it seems hard to follow Masters of Cinema in terms of regular releases. You, you don't quite know when they are releasing movies and... They don't seem to have any sort of structure or uh, routine when it comes to that. Not yet, anyways. Yeah, certainly. And it's just been a little bit hard to kind of put up, uh, you know, uh, get, get a clear idea when they were going to release things. So I think for the time being, we can just talk about, I, I think the best way to do it would just be to talk about kind of releases or something, you know, on shows like this to kind of drop things, which I think is kind of the, the direction we're thinking of going in, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Because sometimes they announce one film a month and another time they will announce four films a month. So we can't do a single show uh, on just one film announcement. So um, just baking them into the opening of our film um, film reviews like we did um, when we first started, I think that's the way to go. So Definitely. Um, so we can kind of just briefly talk about um, the four that have been announced uh, for the third quarter this year. Yes. Uh, or five actually it's uh the one that's been announced uh quite a few uh months ago i think was a uh, pickup on south street yes uh, we talked briefly about this with uh, craig keller i think on the show we did with him yeah certainly i mean i've not actually seen pickup on south street either so yeah neither have i i saw um there was a sample of film that came out not long ago it was uh, 40 guns um, yes yeah and that is also one we haven't talked about on the show but um I'm quite looking forward to looking at a fuller film that isn't a Western because that's not really what he has done the most, from what yeah. I understand. No, certainly. I mean, I'm always pleased to have Sam full of films anyway. Mm. I'm a huge fan of his work in general. Um, and he's one of those directors who, um, I mean, I remember I, I, when I saw The Big Red One, have you ever seen that? No, I haven't yet. That's the one on my to see list, yeah. Yeah, because that was one where I kind of like, that was my kind of introduction to Sam Fuller. Mm. And I just remember sort of thinking it was a really kind of, um, it, was, it was made on quite a small budget. And there's, it's, it's, a, it's a film that's kind of full of kind of, um, I, I suppose, kind of technical errors in terms of the fact like the tank, you know, the German tanks and everything are just American ones and all this kind mm. of thing. And it, it, it sort of put me off his films for a while because I sort of thought he was like a kind of a, a cheap director as it were and this was at Merlin Nice House I saw the big red one many many years ago mm-hmm. and um, I, I sort of discovered him again when I, I, I picked up the Criterion collection the first films of Sonny Fuller that Eclipse box set mm. and I sort of got straight back into his stuff again and uh, yeah, he's been a director who I feel like I should watch a lot more of his films we, you know, we talked about White Dog mm-hmm. um, I think we kind of all had kind of a bit of mixed, mixed views on that but yeah, yeah. He's, he's certainly a very interesting director and I uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm any, any more of his films I, you know I'm very much welcome Shot Corridor as well was another one which I really yeah that's a really good film yeah that really stayed with me I seem to remember what's the other film that um, was released co- that coincided release with uh, Criterion it was Shot Corridor and there was oh, yes. I know hang on a minute I know because I was just debating whether or not to upgrade it on Blu-ray 
Mm. It's I'm totally worth it. Uh, those two releases look really good, but I can't remember what the other one was. Yeah, let me just find. I'm going through um, some sort of woman the, with the, the naked, bold. The naked kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that was the one. Yeah, I'm going for that thing at the moment actually with um, Criterion's. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm the double dipping into the Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. It's it's becoming. I think I've now I just sort of come to the fact that I'm going to have to go through and buy them all again and just keep buying <laughs> them and buying them. And it's a I've, I've, I've surrendered as it were i've done it with master cinema but i think i'm gonna to have to start doing it with them it's mm. luckily my my dvd uh, collection of the criterion isn't that vast so i yeah. don't have to blu-ray upgrade uh, as much luckily um because it's not a cheap affair is it no certainly no. not it's a labor of love yeah sure. <laughs> um also, uh, for the third quarter in July, we get uh, Billy Wilder's Starlight 17, uh, which is a brilliant war film in my eyes. Uh, yeah. I really love this one. I absolutely, yeah, I love this film. Again, it's one of my, one of my favourite war films as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I, was, yeah, I was really, really pleased when they announced this one. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see it again. I saw it mm-hmm. at the cinema actually many, many years ago. So, I remember, uh, I think it was your tour cast that did that uh, Wilder retrospective, and I watched almost all of his films. And uh, yeah, Starlog 17 is definitely a highlight in his career for me. Definitely. Um, Cruel Story of Youth by Oshima, I think. Um, I don't I don't think I've seen this one, uh, nor have I seen much of Oshima's films. I've seen um, um, the one that is on Criterion, which is uh, quite um, quite brutal and quite sexual. Yes, I've not seen it. I don't know anything about it. All I know is that I found the artwork for this really mm-hmm. disturbing. Ah, yes. It was a really uncomfortable image. I was... Um, yeah, I, I was kind of like... I was a little bit shocked, actually. I have to be honest with you. I'm no prude, but I sort of thought, good God. Um, yeah. It says a lot about that film, perhaps. Yeah, and In the Realm of Senses was uh, what I was talking about. Um, and that is also quite a shocking film uh, in just what it depicts. Uh, and i also seen that uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. I think that's a brilliant film with David Bowie. Of course, yeah, yeah, I've seen Merry yeah. Christmas. Yeah, Major. yeah, yeah, no, that's a, yeah, that's a... I know a lot of people have a problem with David Bowie in films. I've never, okay. really, I've never really had that. I, I think David Bowie should be in more stuff, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed enjoyed that. I didn't realise it was by the same director, actually, so shame on me. Mm. Um, okay, so up next we have, uh, I think, your most anticipated release, the Listen Up Philip. Oh, yeah. Um, <coughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I did put a, um, I put a picture on Instagram mm. um, a couple of weeks ago. I think it said something like it was... Uh, or was it Wes Anderson meets someone else? And I just thought, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Woody Allen meets Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah. I um, is, yeah, yeah I, I guess, you know, I, I, I need to see it. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of the thing here. You know, before I even, uh, you know, before I start saying I don't want to see it, I, I need to see it. <laughs> That's obviously fairly yeah, yeah. obvious. But um, it has that kind of twee mm-hmm. Wes Anderson kind of look thing going on. And I'm not quite sure what I think about Jason Schwartzman. Was, am I right? Right, am I wrong? Was he in that god-awful abomination what was it what was that film I absolutely hate with him in it and it it has scarred me for life hang on a minute let me oh Scott Pilgrim versus the world oh okay I think I yeah I think him being in I think anyone involved in that film has made me hate him <laughs> so I can't so as soon as I see them I'm like oh god oh we totally differ on that one 
I, I have literally never seen a film that's made me want to physically assault my television <laughs> as much as Scott Pilgrim versus the world did. And um, yeah, it's done irreparable damage. Mm. I kind of um, place it in the same boat. I don't know, maybe in terms of like use of color and the speed and the hyper hyper quality in terms of Speed Racer. Yeah, um, I guess I liked Speed Racer. I didn't love it particularly. Yeah. It sort of battered me over the head for a bit, but I don't know. I was, yeah, Scott Pilgrim yeah. vs. the World was just a, a no, I understand. I understand, yeah. Uh, I think I'm. I, I think I'm looking forward to this one more than you are. I kind of like this. Um, this whole New York um, upper class scene. Uh, watching those in movies. Um, I don't know what it is, but uh, there's something about that. Uh, that maybe it's kind of uh, semi Woody Allen style that just uh, kind of jives with me. So yeah. Yeah. I. I. I again, tiny furniture. That's mm. all I have to think when I think of rich yeah, upper class true, yeah. New York because that's that's the the first image that comes to my. Yeah, my I have head. no argument against that one. So. Yeah, I, I that's another film that's on my detest list. But um, no, yeah, I, I find these I find about these films is they always, they always kind of, I just don't care about the people in them. I think that's mm-hmm. the problem I have with a lot of these types of things. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, yeah I, I'll make my I'll watch the film, make my mind up. You know, that's, yeah. that's all you can do, isn't it? Yeah, um, but I'm pretty certain I don't need to watch it because it's going to be <laughs> really annoys me. So. <laughs> Uh, the final film that is uh, Haskell Wexler's Medium Cool. Uh, I own this on Criterion, uh, but I haven't seen it yet. So um, yes, I'm looking I've forward seen, to it. I've seen it, and it's one of the films I, I gave it an A for effort. Okay. Um, but in execution, yeah, it didn't do a great deal for me. I have to say, mm. I, I, I sort of thought I should like it a lot more than I actually did. Yeah, yeah. And I think I tried to convince myself I liked it a lot more than I actually did. And mm. yeah, it was. I need to go back to it actually and watch it again. I mean, this would be a good opportunity to revisit. But, mm. um, perhaps I just wasn't in the mood for it, or I didn't. I, you know, I didn't quite get it. I don't know. But um, I, I, I seem to remember sort of thinking, you know, afterwards I wasn't kind of like cheering from the roof for it. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking at the list of releases that have just been, um, I think that uh, there are three I would like to mention at least that we haven't mentioned on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is Life of Riley, which you talked about. I think we talked about this last year when it was announced on the can around yeah. the can. I think, yeah. Uh, haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's like laying right in front of me, the screener, but um, haven't had time. Same goes with the letter to three wives. Uh, yeah, I haven't actually managed to get through any of the screeners recently. Um, okay. Just, just, through, just, just literally, I've got a pile of screeners that I need to watch, and obviously, Life of Riley's, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Actually, mm-hmm. I've heard good things. Have, yeah, I might even do it tomorrow. Actually, I might have a bit of a kind of a, a criterion. Uh, sorry, a master cinema catch up tomorrow. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I've, I, anyone I've spoken to about this film, everyone seems to really love it as well. Yeah. So. Seems to be like a, a light-hearted, fair, comedic, yet uh, yeah. has a heart to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the one I have seen, which I absolutely love the transfer, and I've seen it before, is Paper Moon. Again, I've not, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, so. Okay, so you have something to look forward to. That's uh, we were talking about Star Wars before we started, and Jake uh, in that child role in Phantom Menace. But the child here, she's absolutely like wonderful in her Mine. performance. So definitely uh, one to look forward to. Um, to be fair, once you've watched Phantom Menace though and seen the performance of that child, have, you could get a potato on your sideboard that would give you a better performance than that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's yeah. I think the same goes with Hayden Christensen in the rest. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, moving on. 
Um, we are talking about uh, Le Silence de la Mer today. And yes. this is Jean-Pierre Melville's adaptation of uh, Jean Brulère, I think his name is pronounced. Uh, he uh, released a novella by the same title in 41 during the war. And it tells the story of a German officer who is billeted to the house of an elderly man and his niece in occupied France. Um, and the way that the man and his niece register their resistance is through refusing to speak to the German officer. Um, but staying silent, it becomes harder and harder as the officer starts talking to them and because he starts to reveal a kind of decency and his doubts about the war. Uh, and this actually took uh, its point of departure from his own circumstances, Brule's own circumstances in uh, France in the Four Seas. Uh, where a German officer actually uh, was billeted to him and his wife outside of Paris. And he observed that the officer was a man of culture who had a bust of Pascal in his room instead of a portrait of Hitler. And from that on, he just uh, wove in this uh, tale. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it, I first came across this years ago when mm. Master Cinema put it out. And I had seen Army of Shadows, Melville's other... Kind of, well, it's, it's, it's three resistance films that he made, but that was certainly the one that I got. Um, that was my kind of entry into his work. Yeah, and I went to the, and I went to go and go and watch this one. And now, I, Army of Shadows is one of my favourite films ever made. Actually, I, mm-hmm. I think it's an incredible film in many respects. And I remember kind of going into this and thinking, um, obviously, it was, it was his kind of debut film. And sometimes with 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 debut films when you've seen a, a director's body of work and you kind of start at the end as it were and work your way back hmm. sometimes when you go back and you watch those early films they seem almost a little bit primitive yeah, yeah. To, 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 to what you kind of done before and when i went back and watched this it, it obviously it was kind of made with a lot, lot less money and it was kind of obviously a, a new director but i found myself kind of immediately sucked into it and i didn't notice at all i thought it was a very sophisticated film hmm. in many respects for a debut as well which it kind of took me by surprise and it's taken me a number of viewings to really get into this film Mm. because I think the first time I watched it, I actually found it quite dull. It it didn't do much for me. I didn't sort of get, you know, I was, I was expecting a resistance film. So I was expecting a resistance film of, you know, going out at night, planting bombs Mm. under cars and whatnot. And it's not that, and it's a very different kind of resistance. It's a far more, obviously it's a, it, it, it's the kind of resistance that you, you how do you how do you resist yeah. basically and this i think film kind of so there are various ways you can go out and plant bombs and shoot up cars and things like that or you can kind of hear you know, practical kind of implications are someone's going to get dumped in your house you know is even making them a cup of tea in the morning mm. collusion you know is to even acknowledge their existence somehow kind of surrendering to the fact that these are the occupiers in the country. And once I kind of got that in my head and I began to think about the film in that context, I've gone back to it several times since. And I think it's a quite incredible film mm-hmm. in, in many respects. Um, it, it does turn... It's not the typical war film. I mean, it comes into the kind of the war film cat, you know, genre. Mm-hmm. But and it's to have... It's a very bold film. I mean, obviously it's made in 1949. And even to think about having um, a German in it who you can empathise with. Yeah. Who isn't part? I mean, I mean, it's, I mean obviously, I, I find him the most interesting character in the film. Hmm. Um, I first came to this film. Um, I think it was one of the first releases I bought from Master Cinema in Blu-ray, and 
it was what I was expecting in terms of a French black and white uh, film made in the 40s. Um, I thought, I didn't think actually I was getting sort of a resistance film. I had no kind of expectation as to what the film was actually about. I just popped it in and it immediately brought me back to a viewing experience I had of last year of Marion Bad. And I kind of view this in similar terms where it's very, very lyrical. It's very poetic and it's portrayal and how the people speak and just how much attention is brought to to camera movement to how the actors move where they where their eyes gaze and where they try to avert gazes everything is very uh, methodical um, and very precise and I really enjoyed the film in terms of how precise it was uh, especially being a debut uh, which I found out afterwards. I was really impressed at how well he managed to craft this movie. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have any experience of making a film no. before this. Um, and it was a film that was made with... It was one of those kind of films that was made with friends. And, I mean, I, the, the um, Nicole Stephan, Stephanie... That's, um, she was the producer as well on the film. Okay. She was one of his friends. And... Um, it was. It's interesting because so many times when uh, young filmmakers go out and and, and, and kind of play their ways, they try and make films which are kind of like they draw attention to themselves. Most of them, like they're kind of like, oh look, I can do this. He doesn't do that. I don't no. find. He's not, he, he doesn't interfere with the film. I don't think you kind of see him kind of overly directing it. No, it's very you know, simplistic. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, just there's there's one scene quite close to the, to the beginning where. A German soldier is trying to bring a box to the front door. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of like it's really just, it's just really messily framed, and it, 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 it's it's kind of almost amateur. You can tell it does look a little bit amateurish because the kind of camera pans a little bit, it doesn't quite keep him in shot, and then it just fades to the to the car reversing. You're thinking this isn't you know someone who's like gonna give you a point of view shot of the box being taken out and taken to the door, and it's just like oh, here's a medium shot, here's some stuff going on. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem as interested in kind of kind of get playing with kind of film language as he's more i think he's more interested in just the characters mm. and letting this very kind of subtle story take place mm. and i mean and it, there's some bits in it which are deliberately i i think he is having a laugh with us as well like when they're looking over at the um you suddenly see the i think it's a crucifix on the wall or something like that and it's mm -hmm. like it's kind of like and it, it seems slightly ridiculous and i i the, the way as well that the kind of the, the lighting of the the German officer as well like it's very harsh sometimes and he's kind of shot from a low angle and it, he does look quite demonic yeah and he's giving this incredibly kind of strange kind of slightly offset old experience and you, you can tell he's slightly uncomfortable with the entire situation the way, and the way what kind of like Melville films it is you know these low angle shots of him and then just kind of it would just cut to the kind of the, the uncle and the niece just kind of staring off whimsy in the distance and it's almost hard not to laugh mm-hmm <laughs> I think a little bit at the kind of the ridiculousness of it. I think um, the introduction scene of the German officer, that's one where he looks almost like a Dracula figure or something yeah, where totally. he's like the symbol of all the oppression uh, that is happening. And he becomes this like dark figure that we are meant to hate. And I think he does brilliantly in the way he introduces the character. And almost immediately we see we see that German uniform and all the 
all the things that it brings with it. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest with you. I mean, let's, let's be honest, sorry. Yeah. That if you see a Nazi and a German, let, let's differentiate between, between Nazi and German. German <laughs> art, just because you're in the German army doesn't mean you're a Nazi. No. That the, the Nazi party and the German army are two different things. The SS was the military wing mm. of the Nazi party. The SS wasn't you know, part of the army. And I think that's a very important distinguishment because if you see an SS in a film, that's it. Yeah. They, you know, they are the thing. Even, even the German army used to be afraid of them. That's how barbaric they were. So... There's instantly that thing, but you see that German uniform, and you you, know, you instantly think bad guys, don't you? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a very, it's, it's a very simple, simple thing to think. But a lot of films in the immediate years, especially war films in the post-war years, had a very, very that they went they went back, and I think that the, these films reflect a kind of view of the war that I think fits in with a more humanitarian mm -hmm. angle. I definitely, I mean, one film I can think of is Ice Cold in Alex, where. You have this kind of German spy, and at the end of the film, you know the kind of the the British in it are trying to kind of stop this guy because if he gets caught, he's going to get killed. And he's like the nice German, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's not showing them all as being evil and ho horrendous. And there's this kind of reevaluate, slight reevaluation mm -hmm. going on, which you wouldn't get in the immediate aftermath, you know, especially kind of if you think about kind of the the Rossellini war films, where you know the Germans just unrelentingly brutal in those, you know, massacring civilians and mm. things like that. But, it, you know, once kind of I think things have died down a bit, and I think this film kind of kicks off that cycle of war films that take a slightly different approach to how they view the enemy, mm -hmm. as it were. Yeah, and we and talked we, about another film, Douglas Sirk's film as well. Yes, and yeah, oh, definitely, absolutely. And that's a film made in that period, so uh, yeah, it yeah. kind of ties in, ties in well. Where you, 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 you look at the Germans, you sort of think, you know, that they're, they're humans as well and I think that what this film does really well is that instantly when you when you walk in you think this I, I when I as soon as I saw him I thought this is going to be a film about I thought it was going to be how they were going to kill him or something like that mm. I thought that was going to be the principal film you know trying to work out the best way of offering him mm -hmm. and it isn't at all because you can see from his kind of these um, monologues that he gives that this is someone who and he's completely respectful to them all the time he's always bowing at them mm -hmm. and he never raises his voice to them and um you know he comes in and he's like i've had a very good night i hope you've had a good night and it's kind of, this isn't the german who we're used to seeing or we think we're going to see and it, it it humanizes him and i think that's a very bold move for a film mm. and i know there was i mean i know at the time when, when when the film came out there was a lot of people who were quite surprised and not necessarily entirely happy that they had sh that they'd made it like that, mm -hmm. and I, I think it's to the film's credit that it does do that because it instantly, you 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 are put in a very strange position watching the film where you think this guy's meant to be evil, but he isn't. So how do I take him? You know, do you, you know, and you start to what you you do start to warm to him. It's impossible not to. Yeah, in the beginning, I think I couldn't like trust completely his flattery no. of the French and the culture. And he enters with this kind of enthusiasm and the hopefulness. And I, I was thinking to myself, is he like delusional or <laughs> just yeah. how, what, what is going through his mind thinking that they will accept him? He slightly reminds me of, you know, Michael Palin in The Life of Brian. Where he's yeah, going yeah. Crosses. <laughs> and he's like that when Eric Idle says, no, I've been sitting. He's like, oh, good. Good. You know, he's like, you can tell he's this kind of bureaucrat who doesn't really want to be there, who yeah, kind of yeah, doesn't yeah. really like his job. And he sort of reminds me of that because he's like, oh, you know, you guys have such a wonderful country and it's so nice here. And <laughs> isn't it isn't it nice? And what a shame this is happening, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and it kind of, in, in, you know, 
in, interspersed with this kind of like crippling kind of self-doubt he has you know it's like oh, do you mind if i come through the kitchen or the front door you know do, 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 do you want to lock that door you know <laughs> and it's like it's, you, you almost feel a bit sorry for him it's like talk to him do you know what i mean put him at ease the poor guy you know he's away from his family you know hmm. he, he, his wife and what have you and it's like you know it's just you know come on yeah talk to him you know what i mean like be nice <laughs> no he's not all bad but yeah, it was uh, when he was like ridiculed on his trip to Paris, uh, when he's ridiculed by his fellow officers uh, for his belief about what will happen to France, and when it's when it finally dawns on him what will really happen to French culture, um, it's kind of then where I'm fully convinced that he actually means what he says. Oh yeah, no, no, no. When you sort of see him kind of going out there, and they're all kind of yeah, they're, they're all sort of yeah, they're all taking the piss, aren't they? And it's a bit sort of you know. Mr. Naivety and yeah, yeah, you can see it, that he's the realization is starting to hit him. It's like, God, did I really sign up for these guys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is this what we're really doing? Damn it! You know, and you can sort of tell, like, you know, and when he gets back, he's you know, um, he, yeah, you can tell he doesn't quite know what to say. You know, he's he's, he's got, got this kind of crippling self doubt thing going mm-hmm. on. But I mean, there's that bit as well where you know he's, he's beginning to find out that the the Holocaust is going on as well. And it's very, it's not very subtle, is it? Let's be honest with you. No. It's kind of like basically, you can sort of see him thinking, oh, oh you know, this is not going to end well for anyone. No. And bad, this is bad, you know, like, it, it, it's that one, isn't it? You know, who knew, to what degree did people know what was yeah. going on? And I mean, it's, it's a strange one because again, you know, that's the point. You know, his, his, his team are doing all those horrendous things and he's kind mm. of, you're having this massive moral dilemma about it. And to even suggest, I suppose, even especially, you know, you think this is 1949, to even suggest there would have been those in the German army who were having these doubts. And we know now from history that not only were there people in the German army having doubts, there were those in the German army who were so sickened by it, they were trying to actively do something about it. There was Mm -hmm. a very active German resistance in the war. And there were, a lot of that came through people incredibly high up in the army. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were constant plots to kill Hitler. Mm to stop this madness and you can say in a way i mean a kind of piece of spin i've done with this film is that when he leaves he's going to be one of those who's going to try and do something from within as it were do you think that because that's we were talking about resistance in the earlier uh, early in the show and i i'm not sh- quite sure because i think he kind of falls in line with those that fall in line basically i, th- I don't see any motivation for him to truly stand up for uh what he believes in i feel like he's resigning um and just accepting his role in the machinery no i i sort of i, I thought that differently actually i thought okay. this, this film was like one big kind of like massive realization for him mm. that you know and he, he's, he's kind of as he's talking i think because we when he's doing this kind of flattery going on about how great france is mm-hmm. it does all sound very superficial and, and things like that. but i think when the kind of Obviously, when he goes to Paris, he's being ridiculed, and you know, I think he realizes that this, he's trying to convince himself almost that he has to do this yeah. and something has to change. And that was I, I kind of see at the end when he kind of goes off. I see someone who's going to try and get the get the ball rolling and yeah. you know actively take it. But because I mean, what he's, he's, he and we know that he's been applying for this assignment, don't we? When he does leave, so yeah, and he's, he's tried to really push it through. So I think that's I, I per- that's what I personally have taken from it. Okay. Um, the film is called Le Silence de la Mer, but there's not much silence in the film. Uh, like nearly all, the entire film is told through narration, 
either through the old man's voiceover or the officer's monologues. Mm. And I, I don't know, it feels like some of the narration feels superfluous, um, like when the uncle is stating that his niece came down and we see the niece comes down. Or he's explaining that he's listening to the footsteps of the officer above, and I think some of that he's. I think he's maybe a bit too reliant on the text and not trusting like the images and the diegetic sound himself. That's probably just the thing of being a young director. Yeah. You know, if, I think I think you can kind of forgive that. I mean. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I was. It, it was strange actually on the subject of voiceovers because one TV series I've got massively into is Outlander. Hmm and um, it has a voiceover on it and someone at work was saying oh god it's so, I can't watch it because of the bloody voiceover and stuff like mm. that and I was saying yeah but it has to be in there and I was explaining the reasons why we have to have the voiceover in it and I think this is it's another one of those films where because the voiceover at times is a little bit clunky mm-hmm. you, and like, like you say it's a little bit obvious um, you know it's basically just describing what's on screen mm. there is that tendency for it to kind of to you become slightly too aware of it mm. or question why it's in there. But I think it's important to have it because as strange as it sounds, I think the fact that this, their form of resistance is to not talk to him. Yeah. And if you don't have that voiceover, they just look like they've got some sort of mental health problems. Yeah. <laughs> it just looked weird, doesn't it? If you didn't have that film, they've just sat there. Obviously you would know what they were doing, but you wouldn't have, it wouldn't seem to, I, I don't know, it, 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 I think it needs it to kind of just add that kind of little added layer of yeah. and understanding it, to it. And there's definitely that juxtaposition of listening to the uncle, yet actively watching him not speak. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's kind of like Melville, he's embracing the literary qualities and he's trying to enhance the the word with images rather than the other way around. Yeah, and it, it's the other thing about this film as well. I mean, when you watch it, it's a ve- visually it's, it's quite when the, the, the stuff shot inside the mm-hmm. house, it's quite it, it's all kind of like low angle shot to a mid shot. It's not really the camera's not doing a great deal, like we said before. It's not kind of getting there, and it, it's a film. Obviously, it's called the Science of the Mirror thing, but obviously the sound design in it, it kind of gives. I think it kind of takes away. Perhaps I'm not saying perhaps I might say I'm kind of dissing the film thing. I think it takes away the kind of the blandness of the vigils, mm-hmm. and when I mean blandness, I mean the fact that they are quite functional, mm-hmm. and obviously they got you know they're well lit and all that kind of thing, and you know, they're obviously interesting to look at. But I think it kind of it, it helps kind of pass the time, as it were, and mm-hmm. give you those little nuggets of kind of you know it, it, exposition that you need. But obviously, some of it is completely superfluous, as you say, because it's just basically describing what happens. But yeah, yeah, but it's also a kind of relation to. Um, to like text and to the book itself and how the film opens um, on like an introductory scene where we see a man handed a suitcase and inside there's this book Le Silence de la Mer and then the film kind of opens with this uh, scroll of text and he seems to be very aware that this is literary work and he's not trying to distance himself I think oftentimes in films that are literary adaptation especially early ones they try to make it a cinematic version but this is more of making making the book not making a film yeah well I mean I think there's a very good reason for that as well Mm. um it's because uh Melville actually 
um, he actually said to the author of the book, like there was a lot of there was people weren't in exactly thrilled that he was making this film, mm-hmm. and he actually said to the author of the book, um, Jean Rulli, he actually said that if you don't like the film, I won't release it, mm-hmm. and I think that the reason why it kind of pays homage to a book a little bit and kind of like has this kind of reverential attitude towards it mm. is because I think he was trying to please that crowd. And there's a very, I mean, the, the, the thing about the resistance as well, and it kind of comes out this kind of war revisionism. And we'll talk about it in a minute, I guess, when we talk about kind of the actual resistance in the film. Mm. There was a massive shame because the resistance was a minority, not a majority mm-hmm. in France. Most people didn't, didn't collaborate. They simply went about their average lives and didn't actively partake in resisting the occupation Mm. and that was a massive scar on the psyche of france and there was a kind of attitude after the war you know like a lot of people like what did you actually do yeah yeah people actual member i mean don't forget melville was a member of the resistance himself this was someone who was embedded and and fought actually kind of fought and obviously being jewish as well you know he was certainly um yeah it was very personal battle for him Mm. and in france after the war there was a lot of soul searching going on you know what, what had we actually done and i think melville was he i think he was very very conscious that this film appeal and placate those members of the resistance and you know, who were still alive who yeah. would, who who'd kind of fought through it and who who remembered it and i think he wanted to make something which they could look at and get their kind of seal of approval now i think i think really when he did see the film was very positive about it and I think that was very important for Melville for mm. that to happen. Yeah. And there was there was the fact that this film was made, he, Melville wasn't a union member, it was made of non-professional crew and stuff like that. So the film industry itself wasn't actually kind of backing this film. But I think to get the resistance on his side or the former members of the resistance side meant that the film would have to be released. You know, it wouldn't, you know, it was, it managed to kind of get away from that. So, I mean, I, I it, it sort of amused me that opening scene with the two guys in trench coats walking up with the <laughs> suitcase. It's just like, God, you know, it's so it's like so film noiry and unsubtle, <laughs> and it was. I mean, I, I understand. I think it was filmed after the film was actually been made. Anyway, I think it was kind of a, it was an addition, as okay. it were. But um, yeah, it 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 it, it, let, it lets you know it, it shows you where this film's you know going to wear it's, it's going to wear its heart and its sleeve. What I what constantly surprised me is how how German centric it is, though. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the other sort of thing about it, which kind of does does always surprise me. Yeah, um, the thing about. Uh, you're talking about resistance and i was re- also surprised um to find out how how little he judges those who weren't like active members of the resistance but those that we see in the movie where they are resisting in a different way they are they're kind of making this ide- uh, ideology battle against the the germans rather than a confrontation yeah, this is this is an interesting point about this film because what do you actually think of their resistance? I think that not everyone are fit to like join the active resistance, and not welcoming the German is about the best that they can do in their situation. And I'm I'm kind of left wondering how many people would actually join the active resistance if a war were to break out break out in their yeah. own nation i mean it's it's asking that question really and it's an interesting question that i don't think anyone can answer truthfully until it happens yeah exactly and i think it's quite high i mean i think 
these two are kind of what, what's an old man and a, a, a woman what yeah. they really do do you know what i mean this is the i, I think that's the thing now by not talking to this guy yeah that is you know you you not if you're refusing to acknowledge his existence mm-hmm. and that's that's you know, that's all they can do really and i think you know I know there was a, a lot of people at the time the film came out were a bit kind of like, well, these two aren't really doing their bit. Mm-hmm. You know, is this resistance a bit kind of tokenistic as opposed to being something more, um, I guess, more confrontational and militant? But I think it's it takes bravery. And the, the thing about this film as well is he isn't an evil bastard. He isn't in the SS. No. He isn't going to come back and like say, well, you know, I'm sorry, folks, you've been ignoring me for the past three months. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to shoot one of you. And you even see, I mean, when he comes back and he shows it, there's a list on the wall of people that have been shot as a reprisal. Mm. And he, he checks for their names. And he's visib- you can tell he's, he's, he's looking to see if they're on the list of people that have mm. been shot. And he, you know, he isn't kind of, he isn't that type of guy. So their resistance in this, in this instance, um, it, it's kind of, perhaps the kind of the bravery of it is somewhat watered down by the fact that he's so nice. Mm-hmm. And doesn't want to kind of be evil and mean to them and i think that's something which is quite important but i mean i i still think like i said this is the best they can do in the situation yeah and it's it, it always amazes me isn't it i mean I, in fact i actually talk about it on the next episode of 24 frames class when i'm talking about steven spielberg's duel mm-hmm. and one of the things i love about that film is you take a man who's just like us who's basically a wimp i mean when was when, when, when was the last time you were in a fight mm, you, i can't remember yeah, when's the last time, you know, like, you ever did something heroic or anything like that? And, she, you know, we don't do that type of thing. That's not us, really, is it? It's, you know, no. It doesn't happen. And, you know, when this kind of thing, like, you know, people were saying, you know, what if, you know, Britain got occupied and, you know, you'd be in resistance? Probably not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, probably, yeah. I probably wouldn't be going out blowing bridges up at night. You, you know, you have to be... It's, it's one of those kind of harsh, you know, it's a harsh reality. And this is what was going on in France at the end of this. You know, well, what did you do? You yeah. Know? Well, you know, I, you know, we saw you selling them milk. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, what, what, you know, what, 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 what you're playing at? So these two are making the best of the situation, which yeah. is, it's a very human, it's a very brave thing to do, and it says everything, doesn't it? You're not welcome in our country. You're the invaders, mm-hmm. and we're just going to refuse to acknowledge your existence. So mm-hmm. in a way, it's the, you know, it's the perfect resistance to take to someone, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's admirable how Melville he creates a kind of tension within this. It seems like this is the most boring film ever where two people don't talk to a German officer. But there's mm. the calmness and quiet in the film and like the unusual lyrical qualities that it that are in it that that ever become like contrived or uncomfortable. It like it helps bring tension and you're kind of waiting for these these the smallest of things to come into play, like the word that she utters at the end there. Yeah, and well, I mean the other thing about him is like I'm not sure. I, I was still always expecting him to suddenly explode. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly, you know, like suddenly being that that bastard. Yeah. And it's almost like he, you know, you, you're waiting for them to do something, and you know, the way she just sits there doing a knitting, you know, doesn't even look up on things like that. And you wait, yeah, you are waiting for one of them to speak, and it's almost like how long are they going to be able to take this? Mm. And you know, obviously they're made of sterner stuff because they can just you know sit back and just let him talk and go about their ways but it's strange because you're always waiting for something to happen but nothing does happen in this film even when you go back to it and like I said on paper it is quite I guess a um, a slightly uh, oh yeah you could look at it superficially being quite boring but that's kind of the genius of it you know Marvel's able to kind of craft and create tension out of nothing yeah and And what's more is that he doesn't even give you a sense that 
either of these characters have it in them to act you know flat you know histrionically and go crazy yeah and a, f- a film like this it wouldn't i think i don't think it would work today because children they are sitting with their the headphones and they wouldn't really listen to the man's talking to them they would just block themselves off so there wouldn't be any communication this they're kind of they're forced to listen to them um yeah, they yeah it's, have, it's, there's no way it, to distract themselves. No, yeah, it's a film of its time, isn't it? Yeah. It's, 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 one of, it's one of those rare films where it could only have been made when it was made. Exactly. I mean, got, you, could, you could obviously do it again now and send it there, but you couldn't do a film like this set in the modern age. No. It simply wouldn't work. I mean, if you're going to make a film sort of, you know, about... I've always wanted to make a film about Iraq mm-hmm. and have a family in Fallujah, an Iraqi family in Fallujah, you know, and the kind of resistance there. and mm-hmm. You know, something like that and we, we were saying it how would you do it and you'd have to say well you know it, it, it would have to be a very kind of confrontational combat film film you know it couldn't be anything else that was the kind of ha- how the resistance there fought and I think there's something quite quite strange about this because you know this is obviously there wasn't pitch battles in the streets it was the kind of the resistance movement was more kind of sabotage and hmm. it was it was like that so you didn't have this kind of epic battles being fought out it was very much more kind of you know, sneaking around and you know at night and that kind of stuff and seeing this film it's it's interesting because it's again it's you know what genre is it as well is it a war film mm. you know yes in a way is it a, a melodrama perhaps i don't know it, it, it kind of slips in between kind of that genre classification which i think is a testament to how well it's made yeah yeah um in terms of like the staging and it obviously takes place, most of the film takes place uh, inside a single room in the house there, in the living room. Um, yet he, I don't think there's any sense of like claustrophobia uh, because the, the the camera setups and the movement the camera makes, he always gives it like there's a breathing room in the, uh, in the house, even though I get the sense that it's quite small, but we are never, yeah. we, we don't feel like they're trapped in there. And I think that's quite important that at any moment in the film, I feel like they can walk out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they can just yeah. If anyone listens to him, go out. You know? Yeah, and it's the etiquette of the house as well, isn't it? He's yeah. got his sit, he's got his seat, she's got hers, and he's always kind of like trying to walk around and try and get in their eye line mm-hmm. and distract them, and they never do. And like I say, like I'm in the house, you know, the shot shot is perhaps quite formulaic, I guess. But like, you know, you're, you're right. There's there is that sense that you know. You almost want one of them to get up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and, and do something different. But it just never happens. Mm-hmm. It's a, in in that respect, it is a strange one. Because they're, they're prisoners, in a way, of their own making. Yeah. There, there are no restrictions on when they can come and go. I said, there might have been a curfew, and I imagine there probably was. But, um, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting kind of... It's just a very strange kind of like... They're, they're prisoners within a prison, but the prison's been created by themselves, as it were. Yeah, it's like it's like a microcosm of France itself, almost. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got this big, powerful German overseeing everything, you know, and yeah. that, that threat... I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I kept expecting one of them just to pick up a lick and even stab him with it or something <laughs> like that. was poisoning one day or something. And as the film goes on, you don't want that to happen because no. you're thinking, I, got, I like this guy, you know. he's It's not his fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, I... Uh, I noticed some of the more like his the, the lighting it's kind of foreshadowing his more noirish like gangster chic projects later in the career but it, it kind of settles down afterwards it, it kind of finds its own tone uh, as the film goes on 
Do you agree? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. It has. It has the kind of look of a noir. Definitely. Yeah. You know, shadows cast across his face, and mm-hmm. especially the, you know, the, 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 you know, the kind of the framing as well. Sometimes you can kind of see his head kind of very close up and the light in the background, and it, you know, this kind of silhouette things that are going on. Mm. And uh, yeah, again, that's I think it kind of has this noir look, but it's not a noir. Mm-hmm. You know, it just yeah. doesn't have that sort of. It doesn't have that kind of story element to it, but I think as a kind of like the DNA of um, Melville's work is definitely in this film. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How you, I mean, I think he's an incredible director. Yeah. Um, I always uh, the French Michael Mann is what I call him. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I haven't seen actually uh, most of his work. I think I've seen this one and I saw Leon Morin Priest before this. And have you not I, seen Army of Shadows? No, I haven't. Oh, I know. Watch it. Yeah, now. I own it. So. Um, oh. Yeah. Watch it tonight. I was absolutely blown away by that film. I mean, it is just incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, th- I th- it's one of the rare, rare films where I watched it. I waited for hours and I watched it again and then I watched it again the next day. <laughs> and it was like I, I never do that anymore. You know, it's very, very, very uh, rare for me to do that. And yeah, um, it's a shame because he died so young as well. Melville. He died in 1973. He was only 55. Mm-hmm. And um, he's 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 I can't think of a single film. I have not seen too many Manhattan, but overall, yeah, he's just a. He's, I don't know. I think he's an amazing director. It's a shame thing, but um, yeah, this is definitely. Um, it's. You can see that there's a director who's going to go places in this film. Yeah. I think, that, and it, it works so well. This its simplicity is its brilliance mm-hmm. as well. I, I think, and just to have so you know such a dialogue-driven film and just this. The performances as well of the, the niece and the uncle, I, th- I think, are quite brilliant. Even though they're not actually saying anything, no. The fact that they do say so much of their face, and there's just a bit where he's talking about his music and stuff like that, and he's getting so passionate about it, and he's like, you know, he's saying he wants to compose music that's got a human side to it, and the, the uncle just sat there staring stoically into middle, thing, you know, just not paying him attention. It's a fantastic performance, mm-hmm. even though there's nothing being said. Yeah. All in the like the smallest gestures and keeping the performance so contained, yet being able to reveal like an inner life. I think every, all three of them they manage that pretty well. Yeah. No, definitely. But yeah, top notch. And these, these again, these weren't you know, well known mainstream actors. You know, no, no. Very much kind of cobbled together, and I think they do it brilliantly. And you can see, yeah, you and David, you recorded a uh, an episode on Chabrol, and you can see how someone like Melville he influenced someone like Chabrol with the simple setup of a man he's visiting someone and there's like a differences in ideals that is the focus point of the film in both Le Beau Serge and Le Cazin. yeah and I mean you know, Melville was kind of the godfather really of the French New Wave mm. movement I mean you know the, the Godard and, and all of those you know, they loved his work yeah. and he was very much I, I guess he kind of reminds me of a, a possibly kind of the same way like, kind of like you know, Francis Ford Coppola was to mm-hmm. All, all those guys, you know, I think he, he, he has that sort of effect on them. And um, what's the cinematographer, Henri Decay, is it? Decaria? I can't remember his name. But I mean, he, you know, he would go on and do, you know, he would go and work with Godard and, you know, all of those, Chabrol. And I um, mean, did, I think he definitely did Le Cousins. So, yeah. yeah, you can see this is the, you know, it's the genesis of the French New Wave as well. From a film history point of view, I think it's a fascinating in that respect. Mm. Um,. I didn't know this. Uh, I don't think I'm, I remember his face when I see his picture now because he was in Breathless, uh, and I remember him from that one. Um, do you remember him from that film? I think he had a small role there. No, I don't actually. Okay, I remember like his silhouette and his um, posture there. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so um, anything else you want to discuss about the film itself? Other than the fact that I think this is really, it's a brilliant Blu-ray as mm. well. This, I mean, it's really the booklet in it is fantastic as well. It's got some great features on it. Yeah. Um, the introduction by Vincendo is uh, really good. I didn't get around to seeing the documentary this time, so. No, it was really good. It's really, it's a really interesting piece, and the, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the booklet is a, it's a great read as well. So, mm. it, it, about, it has just been released. This is a region-free version as well. Mm-hmm. This, um, this edition, but it has just been released on Criterion, hasn't it? I'm not. Let me just check the, the features on the. I can say the 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 cover looks really good as well. That truly, I love that post. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely. And again, that's when I saw that I was judging the film by its cover because I thought this was going to be, uh, you know, he was going to be the evil guy. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, it's, it's almost a piece of kind of cover cover misdirection, which I quite like. Yeah, that's true. Because it, it isn't that film, is it? You know, it's more you, of him like telling a story in front of the fireworks, which we see a lot of times in the film, which he he's kind of laying to us. This uh, he's telling a story to. Um, to the two people and to us, and telling it by the story and no, or by the fire, sorry. Um, and it's it, like this embracing of the storytelling in film. Yeah, yeah. No, certainly. Uh, well, the, the it looks like the Criterion's got a it's got a, another documentary called um, Code Name Melville. Okay. Um, a six six minute documentary of Melville. So I've actually seen that. It's a film about his kind of time in the resistance. It's really it's really interesting. I think it's on YouTube actually. Mm. You can see it on there, but I've, I have seen that, and that was really good. And it has got his, his first short film, but it looks like the uh, um, it has got some of the same features. But um, I would, I, yeah, I, I will probably double dip just for the uh, the Melville documentary and the Criterion one. But that's been you know, saying that it's definitely an excellent. This is one one of my favourite releases, Master of Cinema, I've ever done actually. Yeah. Okay, so good stuff. Um, what's going on with the twenty four frames cast? You up and running, and the next you- show will be on. Yes, I've just uploaded an episode today. Okay. Um, a quick, quick review episode. Um, that's up, and there's going to be. I had a couple of emails as well about the Bond uh, retrospective. That is going to continue. So I'll post a thing on Twitter when the next one's up. I'm just getting to the Timothy Dalton age. age ah, yeah. I think. I think I've sort of slowed down because I, I, I haven't done one, put one of those out for a while, but it's getting into that, the Brosnan Dalton age. And I was a bit kind of like, oh, God, these are going to be hard to get through, especially <laughs> the Pierce Brosnan ones. But I will soldier on through. So. Yeah, yeah, it's all up and running again. So, uh, yeah, head over to 24framescast.blogspot.com. Good. Um, and you can find us at mscast.blogspot.com. You can email us at mastersofcinemacast.gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at moc underscore cast uh, or on Facebook at Masters of Cinema Cast. Uh, so, Tom, thank you for joining me this time. Cheers, matey. And thank you, listener, for joining in. And until next time.